Sunday night I'd watch the practice with none of my friends I'd turn the dial to ABC to see the creep of the week that Bobby Donald defends But I'm out of practice With your hosts, Keith Marnie QVC, so I missed the practice. There was no TiVo. What could I do? Wait 15 years, get fat, then stream it on Hulu. Apparently, for Christmas, Mike got a new chair, and all I got was bad hair. Remember the days when other people bought stuff for you and now you just hope someone gives you permission to buy shit for yourself? <laughs> Welcome to 40! That's true! It's not just that you have to pay for it, you have to get permission. Yeah. And... <laughs> Welcome to the Out of Practice Podcast, a weekly podcast in which we talk about David E. Kelly's award-winning series, The Practice. This week, we are up to season five, episode 13, Insane. The Thin Line. Can you believe we're midway through season five? It's, well, I, okay, so honestly, I, I thought about it the other day. And because I was talking to CEO Jen about how she's so far behind because there's no subway commutes anymore, so she... Right. Hasn't and been... and uh, breaking news, we're long. Yeah, also that. In which case, well, I on a, as an aside, I should tell you that I threatened her because I said, hey, you know, Keith and I have retained 51% of the company, so we can demote you still. Oh, oh, did we? Yeah. Oh, from, okay. From CEO. Yeah. And she took it seriously and got sort of upset, and I was like, this is... <laughs> A joke. The whole thing is a joke, Jen. <laughs> um, but I, oh, I started. No. I started to get a little sad because uh, we're so close to the end. And then I realized, no, no, we're not. No, we're 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 like we are barely past the midway point in this series. There's so, 168 episodes or 67 episodes of the practice, and we're not even to 100 yet. So I got less. Uh, I got less sad. Less sad? Yeah. Oh, well, it cheered you up. We have a lot of episodes of The Practice yet to do. Plus, you know, there's also, what, five seasons of Boston Legal? Yeah. Which is I, in this universe. Is It's a continuation of the show, right? They Well, I don't want to know. But from what I understand, uh, from when it happened back in the day, I am... Mm -hmm. We It is this continuity, so I would assume it's we have to do it. Uh, I would, I would think so. Yeah, I, I saw, I saw you resize my. I always fix myself. I promise. <laughs> I get giant. No, I, I mean, without giving away too much. Uh, yes, it is a continuation of some of the stories from the practice. So okay. it is clearly, it is not the practice, but it is, it is a continuation of things that we have started on the practice. So it is a spin-off. I believe we've already pre-committed to covering it. I I think we have. I mean, it's a, a hopefully 
it'll be slightly less niche because like more people remember that and James Spader is is a very big draw, at least according to Instagram. So hopefully that'll help. You know, at, at some point, it would be good to have double-digit listeners. But what we have in, what we lack in double digits, we have an incredibly awesome uh, listeners who are communicating with us and participating in the conversation. And I'm going to take this opportunity to tee up how they can do that. If you would like to talk to us about the practice, about life, about anything, you can email us at the out of practice podcast at gmail.com as Mike desperately searches for. Oh, no. Our page. Hold on. OB- no, I found it. OBS is just being a bitch. Oh, and no. <laughs> I really don't <laughs> want to have to stop. How am I going to how am I going to do this? Oh, no. Oh, I, got, I, have an, I have an idea. Okay, well, I'm just going to keep going because most people are listening to this, not watching it anyway, so it doesn't really matter. Uh, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook oh, at no. Out of Practice Podcast. You can check out our blog. And guys, I didn't update like all the episodes on the blog, but I did update our definitive ranking of episodes of the podcast that we have reviewed thus far. And uh, I have a thought that we need to work on. Oh, yeah, all right. Hey. Join, join the jury. You can... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'll, 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 I'll circle back. Uh, but please do us a huge favor and leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or any other service. It really, really helps us get more than six listeners. Hey, uh, now. There's at least any, seven. There's at least, it's at least nine on a good week. Anyway, uh, so I have updated our, our, our definitive rankings of episodes of The Practice. But here's my thought as I'm going through all of them. We need to be a little more specific in our spare tires because huh. right now we have a lot of ties. Interesting. There's a lot of like 7.375 and 6.5s and well, whatever. How granular so do it, you suggest we be? I think we just need to be maybe down to the hundredth of a point. Okay. Because, because uh, otherwise we're going to have like five a five-way tie in the middle of the series. And, you know, unless we want to do a special episode breaking those ties, which I think would be bad because we don't remember anything. No, but I mean, we could, t- we could wrap that into the season oopsies. Hmm. Make, make some uh, oopsie adjustments. Yeah. In context. It'll be like right, the well, ho- holidays. We'll just throw out hundreds of spare tires here and there. <laughs> we'll just be, uh, well, I mean, they wear down. The rubber ends up in the road. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, let us hop into, because we have some really fun stuff to do today. So let's hop right into... Filings and subpoenas. Filings and subpoenas. Filings and subpoenas. Filings and subpoenas. I would like to begin today with a filing of my own. Uh, and that is, I've, I have... Brought this up in the past, but now we're in crunch time, folks. We are in crunch time. And that is, we are coming up on a crossover, a practice crossover onto Gideon's Crossing, the TV show Gideon's Crossing. And I cannot, for the life of me, using uh, reputable and less than reputable sources find a copy of the episode of Gideon's Crossing that we're on. Hmm. So I, I, we also have a crossover coming up with Boston Public, 
which I was able to get a copy of. Uh, it was streaming for a while. It's not streaming anywhere right now, which is a problem. But I was able to come up with a copy of the episode that we're on. But if we don't come up with this episode of Gideon's Crossing, we are not going to be able to fully tell the story of our heroes on the practice. So if somebody's grandma was a huge Andre Brower fan and kept a VHS copy of the one season of this show under her bed or something like that, please get it to us any way you can. We would be, uh, we will get you a t-shirt. We'll, we'll do anything we can. We'll help you any way we can. Aside from analog audio, it's shocking to me that anything isn't accessible via 20-minute Google. I mean, you might have to go down some rabbit holes. Don't get me wrong. No, but. absolutely. I, it's, it is really remarkable. And I think it's because it was in the black hole mm. of tech-wise. Like, yeah. like people were, you know, if they were taping it, most likely it was on VHS. It also, uh, it just wasn't, successful enough for them to to bother to license it to rebroadcast it you know and it's just there's there's no incentive to rebroadcast a show that was unsuccessful if it wasn't already set up to do that so like if a show comes out like a one season show six episode show yeah throw it on netflix who cares it's already there it's already been digitized it's already been compressed and set up for that but i i just don't think there's much it, uh, financial benefit to them doing it but like i don't know you could throw up a crappy copy of the vhs just for like the super nerds but you know this, we get into licensing and sag and blah 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 anyway if anybody can find it send it to us at out of practice podcast at gmail.com or reach out any way you can if an anonymous email with a torrent link appears no questions oh asked. i already searched <laughs> like I, it's like nut. Like it, 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 it's not even it's like a nut. nut. It's not. It like oh, okay. there, there. There's even like a reference to it. Oh, okay. There's not even a reference to it. And uh, anyway, it used to. It was streamed online when it first came out in like the very baby steps of online streaming. It was there for a while, but well, anyway. I mean. You know, there might be something to look forward to. Should we not be able to find it, you guys are going to have to stare at Keith drinking Coke and mm -hmm. just reading the Wikipedia page, which is not as fascinating as watching the show. Uh, no, no. And I think the Wikipedia page is this show existed. It lasted you can't for find 13 a synopsis episodes of the episodes. The no uh, synopsis? There's a little bit, but it's like a two sentence thing that it doesn't say what happened. Well, I mean, I don't know. We do Whatever. a podcast about a show and we don't even tell what happens. We have 30 seconds of me speaking gibberish. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that's part of the charm. Yeah. All right. Well, let us hear from uh, some of you folks. Uh, got a whole bunch of cool stuff this week. Uh, one, Phoenix pointed out, moderator Phoenix, hey, new segment idea. Mike posts a random screenshot of the Star <laughs> Trek episode he fell asleep to. And all the Phoenixes, I mean viewer, try to compete with Keith to guess which episode it's from. I love that idea. All right. I, I don't know how to uh, how to how to uh, incorporate the Phoenixes to this segment, but I am 100% on board. I got an idea. Okay. 
since you've taken it seriously, I'll take it seriously. How about, and this is okay. when I am in a good mood and I uh, volunteer to do something and then I have to do it, as was the case this week where I had to make uh, Tom Brady. You did. So how about this? For the season, end of season five, oopsies, as a fun game, since you do so much prep work for the end of the season. I do. I will throw my hat in and I will create a little game where I will take okay. uh, either Star Trek, what I'll do is I'll take, I'll find a, a few, let's say five, three to five, okay. Star Trek right. stills from well-known or not so well-known episodes. Maybe I'll make them get okay. diff more difficult. And That's I will replace characters in the stills with members of our show. Oh, wow. Just for, le just for levity. Right. Uh, and then you'll have to guess those episodes and tell me what the episode was about. So you're going to have to tell me what show it was in and then the, the synopsis of that episode. Synopsis okay. of that episode. And I will- Okay, uh, yeah. I will score you. All right. Yeah. Okay. I think that's a think that's a great idea. Now, are you going to are are we are we just going to do TNG or are we going to branch out into the other Star Treks? Uh, well, let's let's let Phoenix uh, add his two cents in the uh, moderation of this episode. Well, how about how about this? Season five, we just do TNG, and then six, seven, and eight, we can increase in difficulty. Really, want to hold on to those users? We got to get that long game going. <laughs> <laughs> long game. That yeah. is, we really do the long game. All right. Uh, Jennifer Masanova writes, glad you enjoyed the clips. Happy Loved belated it. birthday. Yeah, thank it's you. wonderful that it brought up a fond memory. Here's a link. If anyone wants to buy a message from the zoo, the link is on our YouTube page uh, in the comment section for uh, season five, episode 12, Payback. Uh, I was comparing myself to the sloth because I was slow with the birthday message. But either the two of you could be sloths because you've seen or heard uh, being you kind of, because <laughs> we've seen you or heard you being kind of sleepy, especially that one week you were both sick on cold medicine. Who doesn't love NyQuil? Mike? She make, she make, make, make a me happy if I'm not mistaken. Make, 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 make a you happy. Uh, sorry, Marla. Anyway, Jorge Navoa started uh, a, a, such a fascinating little thread here on the uh, on that uh, uh, cop sound cue I'm so obsessed with and played so much this one that uh, apparently I am not the only person who's obsessed with this cue being everywhere because both Phoenix and Jorge also had an association. Jorge says, Keith, I almost shared this the first time the dispatcher cue came up. The one you originally mentioned was different from the last two. I was a big computer nerd in the 90s and played the Spider-Man animation game that used it and sealed it into my memory. And I have huh. noticed it every single time it's come up since. I'm not familiar with the one from the past two episodes. Uh, and yeah, he has, a, he has a similar one there. And I also know it from an old video game. It was uh, Grand Theft Auto 2 which was still two-dimensional. You're like playing a little car around the city. It wasn't even, uh, you weren't even like a person walking around. So talk about how, how that franchise changed. Uh, and Phoenix also says, yep, I noticed it too. I probably heard it first in Max Payne or Grand Love Theft Max Auto Payne. 3, mm -hmm. uh, but they also used it there. And then in every drama on TV ever since. For me, the phrase that always gives it away is when the dispatcher says 881 clear, 8814 clear, which I've never actually been able to hear what the 
disp- dispatcher was saying, so I'm glad to know that now. Rumor is it's real LAPD audio from the station in Highland Park. And he also links to the extended clip of that whole thing. I listened to it. It is exactly that clip. Uh, you can also check that out on the YouTube page for uh, last episode. Finally, Phoenix says, "Well, in, in the I comments, have to give you, you're referring. You, you can check in, it out in the comments. In the comments, I don't. Yeah, do in those the comments, links in the notes. Right? No, no, no. But there, there are links in the comments on our YouTube page. Great." Uh, so Phoenix also says, well, Keith, I have to give you credit. You made a super extended sports ball segment that I actually didn't fast forward through. Wow. Maybe it's because it included football highlight clips, which were infinitely more interesting than just hearing you quote scores. Or maybe it's because I'm a narcissistic puppy that will pay attention to anything if you just repeat my name <laughs> as many times as you did. Well, Phoenix, I'm so glad you could... Could enjoy that segment, Phoenix, and I hope Phoenix, you will listen next week to all of Sportsball, Phoenix. Well, I should also say, Phoenix, that your feelings are more important to us than the content strikes that our YouTube page receives by putting unsolicited NFL clips, even off VHS on YouTube, into your. Did episode. it really? Sure did. Right away. Are you kidding me? Yeah, I'm not kidding you. No. Wow. The NFL. I'm. I'm Tight. shocked. <laughs> I know. They're bad I'm clips. I'm shocked. Yeah. But I mean, these 10-second clips from a full game, like a three-hour game on the YouTube Well, off of I VHS mean, copy. If we tabulated the revenue lost by not being able to monetize that one YouTube video of, mm-hmm. of Oops, I mean, I don't know how we're going to pay your mortgage, Keith. I, I don't know. It's a really good question. We we got a uh, an email from YouTube like our annual wrap up. And <laughs> Although people have spent over eighteen or eight thousand minutes of uh, of listening of looking at our stupid faces, have they though? Well, really? Yeah. I don't so. think that's true. I, I think it said we have put up eight thousand minutes. And it has been watched for almost four hundred of those eight thousand minutes. Maybe. I don't know, but we definitely have more minutes posted on YouTube oh, yeah. than we have views. Well, <laughs> Let alone the whole to thing. be fair, uh, I think people just listen to the podcast. I think this whole yeah, thing was so a stupid idea. This is but... just truly an exercise, <laughs> which is is also true of the podcast. Just a long, extended exercise in narcissism. But this really just like continues it to a whole nother level. Are, is what you're saying anyway. right here in season five, episode 13, that we can just stop the YouTube and just go back to audio? Because that would, the time saved for all of us. Yep, yeah, those, <laughs> those end of the seasons are so fun. Yeah, well, we, we, we get could drunk just, on the internet. We could just do the end of the seasons on YouTube. I don't know. Oh. It's kind of fun. I, I, it, it, because it doesn't affect my life very much, I, I'm, I'm on board. Oh, yeah. Well, what else? The, what, Besides what which, else like, I, I bought this camera, right? Yeah, I mean, we have so, to justify that. We have to justify all. We have the to justify the three this. hours of private time we get in our lives every week. Mm. Anyway, so <laughs> we also on Instagram, our good friend, uh, I am so not Hollywood. I underscore am so not underscore Hollywood on underscore. Instagram, yeah. uh, who we, we've actually communicated with quite a bit over the years, posted on her Instagram a hard copy of the first draft of the script of the episode Duty Bound 
uh, of the practice, which Beauty. is uh, in season two. And it is so cool, like it just as a piece of, of history and television history, but also that she has the first draft. It's not oh, the shooting cool. script, it's the first draft. And uh, so, so cool. And she has agreed to scan it and send it to us. So when we when we get that and when we have the time, we are going to do an entire episode of script analysis of this script. I'm so excited to get into it. I'm so excited as a, as a writer to see uh, how he's breaking it down, how he's formatting it, how the changes that he made between that and, and the final episodes. Like there's, there's so much more in a script than you see on the page because you also have like, you have character descriptions, scene descriptions, you have directions to the actors. I, I wanna see how a David E. Kelly script uh, works and how he how he does that. So I'm very excited to do that. So look out for that in your feed at some point. All right, let us move forward and hop or move backwards because we're yeah. hopping into the time machine to February 4th, the year 2001, when this episode aired. And that brings up our question, Mike, what were you doing? Stay in the basement. Hmm. Well, Keith, the long, cold winter of 2001, what a year mm. that was, what a winter, uh, was rolling on, rolling, rolling on. And I was still in Pennsylvania. I didn't know that I would actually, uh, this my birthday this year in November, I would finally be in New York City. Uh, but that said, I was still in Pennsylvania. I was about to audition for my next breakout show, as you know, I've already done, I believe we discussed it. Oh, wait. Oh, wait. Oh, I had a picture of it and I've forgotten. I believe oh, God. it was, was it February? Yes, I think it was of 2001. On the spot, he remembers, my first professional show. Hello again nope. in Delaware. I've told the story before. Right. Maybe that was 2000. Wait, maybe this has already happened. I think maybe this has already happened to last year and I've already told it on the podcast. For <laughs> the choreographer well, I, of have, Joseph. Yes, you have talked about doing that show and and that and you were shirtless in this show and we never got a picture. Right. Cut my nipple uh, off. Right. And I, right you I remember you telling us that. Uh and my dad uh wasn't particularly thrilled with some of the content. Brian. Uh, but he did see the show, which was cool. Yes, it was around this time, I believe. If it, if man, now we, we've discussed, my brain is scattered at this point. Yeah. But I did have a picture at some point. I think I sent it to you, and I, I have it. And if 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 it exists and if it pertains to this episode, I'm gonna. It will appear right here, right now. Uh, but it's my Good first contract. It's my first professional contract as a performer. And man, it was 400 bucks for the run of the show. Uh, I but I was. Over the moon, overjoyed that this was a was thing you could do for money. Yeah, well, you became a pro, and like you did it before I did. And then I, you know, I ended up moving to New York later this later this year, two thousand one. So uh, crazy what transpires in a year. I'm not even prepared. This mic in February February 9th, two thousand one, is completely unprepared for what the next eight months will bring. But yeah. But, you know, I would say that in many ways, 
if you look at the big picture or the picture is as exists thus far, that first step on the ladder, that first rung is being gripped. I don't know it, but I'm gripping it. So that's yeah. that's a very esoteric take <laughs> on my this day in the basement, but let's go over to you. It, well, it always is. I mean, yeah, uh, that's true. basement ends up being more esoteric than any of our other segments. Uh, so I have one. It's a little bit of a cheat because this actually happened a couple of weeks later. Uh, but I have stuff to talk about then. And I don't want to miss out because something very exciting happened at Eastman that spring, that spring winter. Okay. And that is John Williams, the legendary composer of every movie score you have ever hummed in your head. Absolutely. Uh, Star Wars, Jaws, Close Encounters, Harry Potter, Schindler's List, like uh, Indiana Jones, pretty much everything. Uh, he came to Eastman and conducted an entire night of his own work, uh, conducting the Eastman Philharmonic. And that's we pretty did awesome. At, he, he sold out the Eastman Theater, which is a 3,000 seat house and played and conducted his own music for almost three hours. And it was so awesome. It was like How one of the How close did coolest. you get to sit? Uh, we were up in the, I was up in the balcony. Um, but it was, I mean, the, the acoustics in there. I mean, it's, a, it's an opera house. It's, it's just spectacular. And it was one of the coolest things I've ever seen. And... You know, not not just because it's John Williams and I love that score, and I you know, and I think he is just a, a singular talent for what he does, um, but also because of how excited all of us were, and you know, it's 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 all of my classmates playing in this orchestra, and it's him conducting Star Wars, it's him, it's him actually doing his own stuff, and. And uh, the, I, I do think I I was talking to um, the guy who played lead trumpet afterwards, and because he's pl the because of the trumpet solo in Indiana Jones, it's just a solo trumpet, and like this dude, he's sitting there, three thousand people there, John Williams. What? And he just like cues him and he has to fucking play that in front of John Williams. It was, he nailed it. I mean, of That's course, cool. but like, holy shit. That was uh, such a cool, cool concert. So uh, that's what I was doing then. And uh, was I felt very privileged to uh, to be there. We, we did not, uh, unfortunately, use the chorus and sing the nonsense words from uh, Phantom Menace, but... Coca-Cola. And uh, it's actually, it's so cool. Like that's a, not a great movie, but that piece of music from the Phantom best. Menace. Duel of the Fates, right? Duel of the Fates. Yeah. Unbelievable. So I'm sad we didn't do that, but that was a really but I'm sure there's cool. an acapella version we could have played right here. Uh, <laughs> it wasn't number one. It wasn't oh, number yeah, one. Yeah, you're yet, right. So. Rules are rules. Rule, we, <laughs> we have integrity. <laughs> integrity here. <laughs> Hi-yi-yi. Oh, okay, well, we have one more thing to do before we hop back into this day in the world. Uh -huh. And from what I understand, we have a very exciting 
Back in time, true crime. Back I didn't in have a time, jingle. true crime. Back in time, true crime. Um. So yes, there's no weather this week, although we are getting some weather. It's going to be blizzardy here in the Northeast. Hopefully. Hopefully. Uh, but yeah, let's do back in time, true crime. Uh, there's maybe we can put a cool infographic over there. Uh, did we decide I was going to go first? You're going to go first. I'm going to sneak mine in later. Remember? Oh yeah, no, I don't. But I'm sure we have. We, agreed to- <laughs> we had some planned spontaneity that we talked about. <laughs> okay, so Keith, I want to I want to approach this one a little different. Uh, this all right. This so I'm week. not going to live underscore it this week, so I can actually listen to what you're saying. Yeah, we, we received a little feedback that that, uh, and by feedback I mean I think that. Um, <laughs> Got feedback from you. That I like read this whole story and you were playing and it's awesome. But then we couldn't talk about it because you said I, I couldn't no idea hear what you. you were saying. I can't hear you and I'm never going to listen to it. <laughs> Which really <laughs> removes the discussion component of the two-person podcast. It's just like a book report. <laughs> I didn't read the book and nobody's listening. My mom exactly. wrote the book report, so I really had no hand in this whatsoever. <laughs> Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, so I'm going to listen dutifully. Yeah, so this is a two-parter. So I'm going to give you the setup this week of some... Okay. Some, uh, it's less... Well, there's some. Tr- there's a true crime element for sure, but also it's it's a convergence of uh, this day in the basement and tr- true crime back in time and the sh- universe of the show. It's all coming together, Keith. Ooh. Uh, so I'm just going to set up, very, it's a very long setup this week, and then we'll have the payoff okay. next week. We'll discuss the case in, in general. But let me just give you something, I'm going to give you some overview. I'd like okay. to thank a friend of the show, Jorge Navoa, for helping me uh, with some serious research. Whoa. We, like you said. Wait, do, does Jorge need a title? Is he like our 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 research person? He has done a lot of it. He also wrote us, he made us that schematic, remember? The uh, oh, Kittle, that's the right. Kittleson schematic. Well, okay. So then, is Jorge the official out of practice historian? There you and go. Ar- archi- archivist? No, I guess. Archivist? Uh, no, L- librarian. I am not I- Hollywood. Librarian. Might have to be our archi- archivist because uh, she's right. got she's got the goods. That's right. That's right. We are well, two Jorge, grown men we'll, we'll, making up fake job titles <laughs> for random listeners for on our podcast. Grown man. Yeah. <laughs> It's like you said, you know what? Yeah, we don't have hundreds and hundreds of listeners. Actually, a lot of people way far back. It's funny that we do this real time and nobody's even close. But those who are up to date, you know what? It's all about you guys. Nope. And and ladies. And however you identify. We are about, we, we like your fandom. We, we, we expect nothing less than the true commitment you've shown. Thank you to all. <laughs> <laughs> Did I cover all those bases? I was really trying. Nobody had to Way to go. Shovel. Okay. Keith. It's the week of February 4th, 2001. The dates don't exactly line up, but I'm just, it's in the universe. We're fudging. Yeah. All right. So that same week was February 10th, and there was uh, an event called V-Day, all right, at, being held at Madison Square Garden, Keith. It was a fundraiser. It was the fourth annual fundraiser founded by Eve Ensler, writer of the v- oh. Vagina Monologues. Okay. Uh, many, 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 and uh, the benefit was for uh, proceeds that went towards uh, programs working to end violence against women and girls, which we support, and also rape crisis centers. I said pause for Keith to say interesting. 
Oh, 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 good, good. Well, it's actually, it's, uh, have you seen this? You didn't watch ahead, did you? No. It's very interesting. Uh, you talk about everything coming together. Okay. That, um, that's what like, I was thinking. It actually these, is interesting. These notes prepared by Jorge literally said in, in parentheses, pause for keep to say interesting. <laughs> uh, wait, 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 hold on. So Jorge actually wrote this? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh my God. Oh, and no, now no. you were trying to make it seem like you did this. I told him I would. Um, no, it's it's better. He didn't just write it. He wrote me a, a, like a the, the pitch for it. And then I was like, actually, could I just get bullet points? <laughs> You made him do it. No, no, no. He's... But you passed this off as your no. work. Look, we Even had an agreement. before we started, you're like, I did all this work. I've got bullet I, points. I didn't say I did all this work. Um, you didn't and, say someone else did it. Well, I we had an agreement that I've now I've destroyed. So <laughs> anyway, uh, yes. Right, I, Eve Ensler. Uh, Eve Ensler. And uh, Lisa Gay Hamilton performed that night at the end, as did Callista Flockhart. So they're keeping it in the family. Right. Well, and of course, Eve Ensler and Dylan have a connection, but I'm sure you're going to get to that. Yes. Well, Keith, just remember that also that same week, February 4th, 2001, was the 34th anniversary of a truly horrible event. So I'm going to get back into the time machine and go back a little further. Okay. Same week, though, February 9th, but back in 1967 in Waterbury, Connecticut. Okay. We join a young boy named Mark Anthony, five years old. He's outside of his house. He hears gunshots from inside the apartment. Not long after, an ambulance takes away his 20-year-old mother, shot in the head. Okay, the victim is Diane Marino, newly separated mother of two, she also had a seven-month-old daughter inside of the house present during the shooting. The only other person present, the one witness, is Diane's 22-year-old boyfriend at the time, John Sponza. Right, here's what we know about the incident. John is in the kitchen cleaning his 32 caliber pistol. Diane, victim, is in the adjacent pantry. She's peeling potatoes, preparing a meal. John says he sets the gun down to make a phone call Then Diane comes in, grabs the gun, takes it with her back into the pantry, and then the gun goes off. We know from the coroner report, the bullet enters behind the left ear, exits above the right eye. That's what we know. Officially an accidental shooting, unofficially death by suicide, which is what John Sponza, the boyfriend, claims happened. All right? Now, we're gonna go back with our, our hero. Mark Anthony, let's look at his childhood. He's raised by his grandmother, along with the baby sister. Uh, they actually told him that his mother was still recovering in the hospital. Doesn't even learn she was dead for another year. Oof. A year? A year. Oh my God. Right? Yikes. All right, so that's how shit begins for Mark Anthony. We're gonna flash forward 10 years. So he's he's 15 years old now. He reaches out and reconnects with his father. All right, Mac. Mac and Mark start to spend time together. He's sneaking off to meet up with his dad. The relationship's less like father-son, more like uh, brother-little brother, right? Just a little context. At 15, Mac introduces Mark Anthony to his new fiance. New fiance is V, 23-year-old playwright 
who turned abusive childhood into creativity. She immediately recognizes his suffering, but his talent insists he should probably become an actor. She takes him under her wing, formally adopts him. Well, Mark Anthony takes stepmother V's advice, pursues a career in acting, looking for a stage name. Uh, his his stepmom and dad get pregnant with a boy. She miscarries, revealing she planned to name him Dylan. There you go. Mark Anthony is actually our, bo our Bobby Donald, Dylan McDermott. I didn't know that whole story. Well, there's more to it, Keith, and I will continue. Uh, now, many, many years later, 1996 we're in now, uh, big year of success for both of them. V writes and performs the vagina monologues, and that same year, Dylan gets hired to play Bobby Donald in the practice. So, the practice did not air uh, this the following week after this previous episode because the 58th Golden Globe Awards uh, was Dylan nominated. Who knows? Stay tuned for the season five oopsies. Uh, I actually don't know. Uh, fate of his character would not be revealed till February 4th, 2001, but Keith, here's the pitch for the future for next week. The fate okay. of his mother's 34-year-old death would not be revealed for another 10 years. In fact, in February, 10 years later, in 2001. So, that's my cliffhanger for next week's Back in Time True Crime. We'll leave you here. Dylan McDermott knew his biological mo dead mom was neither accidental or suicide. What was revealed, and we'll get into it, is that, remember, it entered through behind the left ear, exited through the right eye, but his mother right. was right-handed. So if she had actually gone into the pantry to kill herself, it would have gone the other opposite would have gone direction. the other direction. So all of these things have connected. We've connected back in time. We've connected our universe, their universe. We're going to find out literally what happened to, to Bobby Donald's mother, uh, who was killed when he was just five years old. Holy moly! Yeah. Wow. So wow. thanks for Jorge is... for making that. Uh, for for sending, reminding me, or asking me. Uh, oh my goodness! That we should yes, do a back in time you, Jorge. That yeah. was so fascinating. Fascinating. Yeah. Okay. Well, I can't wait to. I I I mean, I knew that he was raised by Eve Ensler, but that's pretty much the end of what. And and I knew that his name came from some. I I like it was familiar to me, but I didn't actually remember all of that. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Fascinating. Well, stick around to next week. And uh, for the rest of us, let's continue. It's time for the Out of Practice Podcasts This Day in the World. The greatest hits, the biggest movies, headlines from Vermont, essential sports updates, and for some inexplicable reason, the weather from 20 years ago. Now back to Keith and Mike. All right. Well, before I play our number one hit, I have a question for you. And that is, were you aware last week when you tried to do a bit with me that I refused to participate with, that this week, the number one hit was... It actually, this was the number one hit oh next week. Oh my God, I did not know that. Talk about serendipity. Yeah, you really... There was no yes and there. You were not a participant I, in that. I, I, well, because I, I didn't pick up what you were throwing down fast enough. And then when I did, I was like, it's too late. It wasn't me. It wasn't me. Keep your mouth shut. We just need Eugene here being shut up and don't say anything. So uh, we're definitely going to get a strike for that. But I thought that was 
It's a live performance with Shaggy and Sting. Oh, really? I was going to say, who? we should not say that uh, performer's name because it's terrible. But I guess... Uh... Yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, it was that that was actually Shaggy and uh, Sting. Did you see Shaggy as when they did that live Little Mermaid? Oh, I didn't see because I again, I was I was in like classical world, so I was not aware of who like Shaggy was. But I did see the Little Mermaid. Yeah, we and that's say, all I'm going to say yeah, about that. Let's go on. okay well the number one movie was the wedding planner starring j-lo and matthew mcconaughey it wasn't me it it wasn't me and for the cover of the burlington free press i have a not so spontaneous but back in time true crime of my own so guys if you like true crime True crime. If you like back in time true crime, this episode is for you because the cover of the Burlington Free Press press was uh, an article about the life and death of Deborah Fell. Now, uh, this is this is also dark, uh, but it was a <laughs> super famous uh, true crime in Vermont. And here, can I is. make a prediction before you even start? Yeah, sure. Barbara fell and couldn't get up. Comedian? Boo. <laughs> you don't even know what happened to her yet. No. I feel bad. And to Barbara's family, I apologize. Well, I'm sure Barbara's fine because her name is Deborah, but close enough. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, here we I've go. Just, I just unsubscribed from my own podcast. <laughs> On the evening of November 26th, the year 2000, in Rutland, Vermont, 20-year-old Donna Fell, Donald Fell, and his friend Robert Lee were socializing in the apartment of Donald's mother, Deborah, and their mutual friend, Charles Conway. The evening took a horrible turn when Donald Fell and Robert Lee simultaneously attacked and killed the other two with knives. Lee killed Donald's mother, while Donald killed Mr. Conway. The evening did not end there, as Mr. Fell and Lee walked together to the price chopper in Rutland, carrying an unloaded shotgun looking for a car in which to flee Vermont. At approximately 3.30 a.m., Fell and Lee carjacked 53-year-old Tereska King, forcing her into the back seat of her Plymouth Neon. Shortly after dawn, they took King into the woods and battered her to death, leaving her body in the woods. They continued to their hometown of Wilkesbury, Pennsylvania, where they stole license plates and continued to Clarksville, Arkansas, where they were subsequently arrested by local law enforcement due to the stolen plates. Hmm. Robert Lee died in prison in 2001, uh, just a year, less than a year later, by quote-unquote accidental hanging. Donald, on the other hand, pled guilty in exchange for a life sentence without parole. But the deal was rejected by huh. then U.S. Attorney General John Ashcroft, who insisted on the death penalty. He was subsequently sentenced to death by federal jury, as Vermont does not have a death penalty. However, his 2005 conviction was overturned due to juror misconduct. 
According to his motion, one juror lied during the jury selection process and withheld substantial information about her own life and that of her son. A second juror defied the court's instructions and traveled over two hours in the midst of the trial to view the crime scene. Oh, in shit. doing so, the juror obtained information that was not consistent with the trial evidence and, Fell argued, highly prejudicial. <coughs> if this same juror is also accused of coercing another juror's vote. And a third juror allegedly failed to disclose both extra record knowledge and material information about his past. Mm. So, a new death penalty trial was set to begin, but in 2008, Mr. Fell pled guilty yet again to all four counts in exchange for life without parole. So it was one of the most famous <laughs> murder trials in uh, in Vermont history that involved the attorney general, involved jury uh, misconduct, and uh, like three different guilty pleas and a uh, suicide in prison. Was the death penalty still on the table, though? Uh, well, yes, it was. I mean, that that was why he pled guilty, so as to avoid the death penalty. But because it was the federal charges, right? Then they could supersede because, the state. Because it was a federal... That's right. Well, be, and, and he was never actually tried on the murder of his mother and his mother's friend. He was actually only ever convicted on the carjacking because uh, he took... A, took her across state lines, thus making it a federal, federal. case, thus el eligible for the death penalty, thus John Ashcroft uh, got involved. So uh, fa another fascinating story. You know, while we're here, Keith, great story. Uh, Back in Time True Crime is pretty awesome. I think that uh, we should take this opportunity while we're discussing it. Is Have you had a chance to watch the finale of Murder on Middle Beach? We are never going to get to the episode, folks. Eh, we well, you know what? Let's let's not kid anybody. It's Saturday, and we have nothing else to do. Fair enough. Uh, yes, I did watch the uh, the finale of it. So, you know, we've never really uh, gotten spoiler to alert for the uh, docu series on HBO, Murder on Middle Beach. So, uh, if you have not seen it, uh, fast forward to whenever we're done. Yes. So we're going to go full spoiler here then? I, I guess. Yeah. Well, I mean, nothing's given away, to be honest with you. So uh, what I think, what I what I really enjoyed, once again, to heap praises on this little docuseries, is that we've seen other docuseries. Uh, the Jinx comes to mind, but most importantly, mm -hmm. uh, the Nexium docuseries I had been talking about before, The Vow. And what The Vow does really egregiously, I think, is that when you finally get to the big reveal, they tease next season. They say, oh, right. wait, it's actually not ending. We're going to just keep milking this, which really soured me really bad because it just it feels exploitative. What I loved about this was that, look, they, they didn't solve the crime, which can be really unsatisfying for this type of a mystery type of podcast. But what, it, what does happen, and which is pretty amazing in the events, is that the, the show sort of morphs into being about the healing process of this mm -hmm. one young man and a family, or at least the, maybe the start of the healing process. 
And what he's able to do in the finale to, to provide a sense of, and in the edit, I should say, to provide a sense of closure and of a, a, a satiated sort of appetite for the audience is he's able to at least exonerate one mm -hmm. of the key players and which opens up a few different relationships that might have a chance at being healed. And in, in addition, one of the big struggles that happens in the show back and forth is that this mystery has been years in the making and he's been as as helpful to the police and the investigators as possible, but they, with not, not evilly, but they're withholding information to him because the case is still ongoing. Even though they claim it's not ongoing, that becomes a, a plot point. Well, yeah, I mean, I I am not hundred percent sure there isn't some misconduct happening on the place of the uh, of the police. So anyway, our our uh, our main character, uh, who's also the documentarian, which can be a conflict of interest, but it sort of works. Like I've said last week, it does work. It, for it the, works for in this, here. yeah. He yeah. he goes through a Freedom of Information Act. There, he's able to videotape the entire sort of hearing. Uh, in this fight, and yeah, the, the sort remarkably. of big the big win at the end, and I'll let you expound on this, is that he wins that 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 uh, appeal and oh, yeah. gets yeah. all of the case files, all of them, and so he's now sifting through them. And what's great is that they they held the edit till I think last month, so that it's it feels really current. It just happened, and so he's going through the files now, and we're gonna stay tuned. So it. The to be continued is in real time, and so I'm I I allow it. And he also the, yeah, I, it's it, I think uh, it speaks to the the whole edit and the whole movie in that they were still able to make it feel satisfying, even though we don't we still don't know who killed his mom. Yeah, no, I no I agree, and and you're right. It is I I was sort of counting down. I was because like you know I want to know more about it. Of course, I was hooked, and and I'm counting down the minutes of the episode left with the. <laughs> I date. do the same thing because <laughs> mm -hmm. because like oh crap we're in February like they're like three weeks from COVID like oh shit and then it goes goes into it so yeah I'm really fascinated with what's going to happen next and you know he he did such a good job of sort of taking us on a journey through all the possibilities while sort of circling back to. I think the original logical choice. Mm -hmm. um, but, and you know, if, as I think I said last time we talked about it, like were I his family and you're going to do like half an episode on whether I did it. And yet you're pretty certain I didn't and like credibly make a good case as to why I did it. I, I might be a little pissed. But uh, he, he references that he discusses it openly. No, in, and he's in, no, he, he does to his credit. I'm not sure that, self-awareness absolves him there but i don't know it's something but i do think um it's re it's it's really fascinating and i i was we we're having a discussion this is a good question uh for any of our listeners who may be a lawyer about secretly recording his dad now i understand that in new york new york state uh, you can secretly record somebody you have one party consent you can do that which I know. <laughs> and, uh, but I'm surprised that he was able to broadcast it and broadcast his father's face and story without his father's permission. And based on what we understand of his father, I would be very surprised if he gave the green light to show all of this footage on HBO. I totally agree with that. However, 
my counter to that, and, and truth be told, I've been meaning to kind of Google into this. I gave, I wanted to give it a little breath because any statements made would probably have taken a week or two. Um, he does mention that he let everyone, in, including his father, see a cut of the film before it aired. Um, but what's interesting, and you'll learn about the dad, is he's had a lot of international affairs and uh, at best shady business dealings, at best. I think and, that's a very generous way of putting it, yes. But it's very clear every time he's recorded, literally every time you hear his voice, that he is speaking as if he may be being recorded. Oh, now 100%. That, it's like he's been, he either assumes he's being recorded or he's been so taught at how to speak as so as to be very Clinton, uh, well, depends on what is, is. It you depends know? on what is, is. I always assume I'm being recorded because I'm just that interesting. What uh, what I find interesting about the father, and, and look, this is all assumption, clearly, and hearsay, but <clears throat> is that criminal or no, the man is scarily able to, to, to compartmentalize, uh, emotionally at least, because oh my God. in the middle of conversations yeah. with your son, who is flat out asking you about the death of his mother, he just shuts conversations down. I mean, yeah. I won't, I'm not gonna speak about this. Your mother was yeah. a drunk, no. And it's, if you wanna, I mean, yes, that looks very guilty. Once again, he's not been accused, he's not even been indicted on anything. Uh, but damned if, and look, I think uh, the main, the documentarian, to his emotional detriment, I think, played it completely straight with all the family members who he was making accusations to. He asked them point blank. He never made an accusation. Even to his own sister, his sister, his aunt, his father. Right, right. And, you know, we see a little bit at the end how he sort of, the toll that it's taking on him emotionally. But when it's all laid bare, there are a few people who speak like people who want to find the answers. And there's one person who speaks as if he does not want any answers known. The past is the past. Yeah. No, no, for sure. And, you know, I think about it from his point of view as a documentarian and the subject of you know, the documentary. Like, I, I get it from an emotional standpoint why it's easier for him to do this through the lens of the camera and like just mm. adding that layer of uh, artistic distance that I think enabled him, you know, to, to ask those questions directly, to go down those roads that I think it would have been much more difficult if he didn't have a quote unquote reason to do it. Um, you know, and I, I certainly can, you know, think about that a lot. Like it is easier for me to, work out stuff by writing it, even if it is uh, like not to be seen or anybody's like a therapy exercise. Mm. Like I, you know, like I can write about experiences that I've had and, you know, uh, and whether it's a play, whether it's a short story, whether I'm fictionalizing it and putting pieces of it into one of my novels or whatever, like it is easier for me to emotionally process if I have the, the, the distance that comes from, the writer eye and you know because like i'm thinking about what whatever happened what that person said but i'm also thinking about all right well how do i want them to say it in this and am i gonna like what is the character doing what is you know shifting in their seat well i'm thinking about that it it, it adds a layer of 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 distance that i think hmm. can be uh can be helpful 
I mean, it comes at a, it comes at a detriment as well. Like it comes at a cost a little bit because you're, you're not fully in the room. Yeah. Um, and even if you're in the room and you're recording it, you're still thinking about this in terms of the recording as you're, you've divided attention yeah. and I can see why he did it. And I, I, I don't know. It's, I, I found it was fascinating on a, on a great number so of many levels. levels and I can't yeah. wait for season two. Me neither. I also, uh, w- let's get back to our show, but I will say that uh, neither Keith or I has watched The Undoing yet, David E. Kelly's new short form mystery. Uh, CEO Jen has. I's, I've advised her not to tell me, uh, though all I've kind of picked up is that she was unsatisfied with the ending, which mm. always gives me trepidation. But her and I, our tastes sep- differ quite a bit, so I, I, I will still give it a shot because this is the universe that we are invested in. But I have to say, Keith, in case you haven't been watching it, and to all the listeners out there, we were looking for some popcorn fluff to just watch something quick. And so we watched the first episode of The Flight Attendant on HBO Max. Oh. Uh, It is so good. It is totally inconsistent in a great way that works. It's an incredible mystery. The casting is superb. The performances are superb. It's a dark it's a it's a it's a dark comedy drama mystery so good hbo max only five episodes i'm loving short form content right now i don't need nine Mm. hours give me a a well-edited five that's where we are 167 episodes from the 90s yeah or a podcast about a specific show that talks for three hours about other shit uh Uh, yeah regardless the flight attendant mike's hot tip for the week uh let's <laughs> what are we doing yeah all right well actually one of my uh one of my friends has a couple lines on that uh all I mean, right. well they were great then because literally from extras to the top of the cast the casting is so good okay cool all right well we're you know technically you know we're still in this day in the world and oh. it's time it's time it's time, time. It's time for sports ball. sports ball. I don't want to talk about it. Okay, but let's just show this because it's so good. <laughs> Was bad stuff happening to the New York Giants? Uh, Were we losing? Some was something lost? I I I I don't remember. I I know that last week, last week we had a huge triumphant victory yeah. that of the NFC Championship game, and then something we. I don't know. We're going to go and do something, but I don't remember anything mm. happened <clears throat> after <clears throat> that. I feel like if the next logical thing would be it, you're Super Bowl champs, right? Yeah, one would think. Yeah, yeah that that would be uh, that would be what you would naturally expect. After, well, there could only uh, be one winner, and if you're not the winner, Keith, what does it make you? The Eagles. <laughs> this year yes this Zing. year yes well done uh, yes we lost All right. we lost well, bad to Baltimore and it wasn't I really was even so a game sad. some would say it was bad no it was really really bad and I, it, I was so depressed I could not look at Anything sports, the paper, I couldn't look at ESPN. Yeah, ESPN. Like, no. It was all dead to me for like four months. <laughs> it yep. was not. Oh, Trust no, I took me when that I say back. I know that feeling in the pit of my being. Oh, that was, uh, yeah, because you had one coming up in like t- 
two years. Oh, I'm that. living one now. I'm living one <laughs> right now. Yeah. All right. I'm a human being. God, God damn, it. damn it. My life has value. And I'm not going to take this anymore. It's time to talk about the One hour. Never has that bumper been more <laughs> apt. Never have we earned that more. Okay, finally, finally, if you skipped ahead, uh, give your thumb a stretch for having using that 30 <laughs> second skip. I'm I'm so sorry. Uh, take some Advil, ice it a little bit. And uh, all right, we are talking about The Practice Season 5, Episode 13, entitled The Thin Line. This episode was written by David E. Kelly, of course, and first-time writer Lynn E. Litt, who also wrote on Law & Order, Hack in Plain Sight, Stitchers, and Grey's Anatomy. This episode was directed by Dennis Smith, who last directed Appeal and Denial. Good one. We have only one more thing to do. What is that supposed to mean? Yeah, just like that. hands look so fat. My hands aren't fat. What happens to women when you insure yeah, your penis? They look all like what? chubby when I do that. What does Mike think's gonna happen? The rest of me is fat, but my hands are fine. Now, what if this you would have is... drank the curdled milk? Then what would have happened? Does this podcast make my hands look fat? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, honestly, I'm I like I understand that you know I'm carrying an extra few. I'm a little I'm a little chunky. I'm not like gargantuan, but I'm a little chunky. But like I'm a pianist, I don't have fat hands. Whatever. And nobody's accused you of having fat hands, Keith. I think you need to take this <laughs> to the other room and have a think about it. <laughs> Give Phoenix a call. Let's work this out. So oh my God. last week, a lot of shit happened. Uh, Bobby is on trial for first degree murder, everyone. Uh-huh. And Lindsay's upset about it. She's having a baby. Eugene is pissing everybody off. And by everybody, I mean... Rebecca Cricket and everybody else seems mm -hmm. to not give too many shit. So there's a lot to happen. The thin line, though, I think is going to be the thin. What is? I can't. It looks like a <laughs> tape recorder on fire. Big swing, man! Give us a big swing. All right. There's a recording. Oh, it's the recording of ah uh, yes, I've got it. I've got it. I got it. It's the recording of what. Uh, happened inside of Fink's apartment. I think Finks. some... <laughs> Talk to I Deborah. I think Lindsay and Helen conspire to steal the tape from evidence uh, that, that Helen would have access to because she's DA and uh, destroy it to ex help exonerate Bobby. And, and so now we've broken the thin line of criminal and and legal system. Ooh, <clears throat> I like it. We go Whether full, or not that's we right, turn I want to see that episode. We turn full heel this week. Ooh. Oh, speaking of more TV, remind me, speaking of heels, I've become obsessed with uh, Dark Side of the Ring. Oh, yeah. We'll talk about it next week. Yes. All right, great. anyway. Okay, that is a great, uh, that's a great big swing. I like it. Now, let's find out if he's right. So, if you have suffered through all hour of this on YouTube, it's time to click over to your favorite podcasting service of choice and listen to us, listen to The Thin Line. We will be back for the oopsies. Season four. Just kidding. Season five. Barbara. <laughs> 
Episode 13, Barbara Fell. The Thin Line. <laughs> it's snowing. Chris met Simon. Bobby's the guy who locked up. I didn't know I was here. You always used to come here. Bobby should take the deal, y'all. Me too, for that matter. I remember, what was it? For those who've forgotten, Bobby was offered uh, two years. You and I sat in this very room dreaming of the day we'd argue before the Supreme Court. Sometimes the Supreme Court doesn't hear Listen, your case, Bobby. We talked about introducing character evidence. I don't think that's a good idea. It'll open the door in a drug bust where those police officers got killed. I'm not missing anything, am I? It's my word against Neil's. He's a felon. What's his word? We gotta be able to make reasonable doubt. All they have is a convicted felon with a huge motive to lie. The audio tape that precedes his motive. It seems like they're setting up a Mike was right here. Can we win, Eugene? An outright acquittal? I don't know. The felony murder count. All they have to prove is that you sent him there to break him, Bobby. That's what scares me. Their offer is still on the table. Okay, take it. No. Credits roll. <laughs> okay, folks, you have just witnessed some awfully shoehorned exposition where both of the characters know all the things that they're saying to each other, but they're pretending that they don't. Well, it's so been two sometimes weeks. when we need to do shoehorn in exposition, we make our characters dum dums. Bobby was a little busy. He was at the they, they they were you know at the Emmys. They had to do their thing. Golden Globes. Golden Globes. Yes. All right. Well, we we but we certainly have some very high stakes. However, awkwardly restated. You think uh, Lucy's going to be in this episode? You think yeah, she? There's a there's a chance. There's a chance. Okay. I, I, no spoilers. Okay. Like big spoilers, like whether Lucy's in it or not. Thing about Toomey, he stays very neutral. He doesn't get emotional. Don't try pushing any of his buttons. He hasn't got any. Helen's Don't figure out, him to God. object too much either. If he doesn't need to preserve something for appeal, he stays quiet. And jury's He's tend help, to like she's him helping the he defense too. Great. We better get going. Good luck. Bags back. Helen, about that cop Um, yeah. Eugene. I'm on call for my rape crisis center hey. today. Is that going to be okay? I thought you were just in training. I thought you were... So, okay. Yeah. Huh. It is yeah, interesting. Right? It is interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And it, speaking of... And also, speaking of exposition, they over-explain it in the teaser, and now apparently that's happening as this like whole other thing going on. But Lucy, we're just going to like awkwardly just throw it in in one line and pretend like, oh yeah, sure. That's not completely new information. Now, do you think, Varney, yes. <clears throat> that as they clearly wrote that in as a nod to Eve Ensler's uh, event or not-for-profit, do you think that they ran a PSA during this episode or something? I... I don't know. 
I, you know, I, I wonder because, well, because we don't, we don't know that necessarily it is tied to that. No, but it, it, the dates match up. It seems really sort of not, I mean, great for David E. Kelly for writing it in, but it seems like a random, a rando thing that Lucy's just got to do. We got to put into the episode. Yeah, no, it's, I mean, but I, I, yes. And on the other hand, like it's, we haven't. Lucy hasn't had an opportunity to do anything other than be assaulted. Yeah, it's fair. Kind of like she's like either you're either canning out exposition or being assaulted. <laughs> like that is your character. So uh, I'm excited to have give her something else to do. Volunteering nights. I finished training this weekend and I am volunteering nights. This is a one time thing. A counselor got sick. Lucy, we need you on call here. It's this one day only. I probably won't even get called. At the Rape Crisis Center, Let's everyone. Bobby. Let's back up a little bit. Yeah, right? I want to be there, you know? I mean, so you know, I. I am about to we be convicted have an of army. first degree murder. If we so sit in the gallery, somebody's going to earn one. Interest. I appreciate the support. Well, it wasn't like you need to be in court with Bobby. They were like, somebody's got to be here to answer the phone. That's That's true. Yeah, I think, like, Jimmy can, like, pick up a phone. Yeah. Go. There's press on the sixth floor. We just walked through it. I'll give you the advice you give all your clients. Look humble, but look like a winner. Ray Abruzzo answers the elevator. Oh, awkward Ray. Sorry, old friend. I'm going to try to get you convicted of murder. You know who we could use is Brooks. Thanks a lot, Mike. We could Bobby. use Brooks. We're friends. Bobby, what's his name? Don't. Uh, oh God! How come I don't? How do I not remember? Uh, we do a podcast. Oh, you were first on approached this. by the oh, defendant's James, wife. James Whitmore is yes, the actor. Came to us saying Raymond she's being Oz by is the Raymond Oz. And what did you do? We arrested him. And those charges were dismissed. That's correct. Detective, how many times did you detain or arrest William Hinks at the request of the defendant or the defendant's wife? I believe it was three times. And for the record, Detective Bobby Donnell and Lindsay Dole are friends of yours, isn't that correct? We've always been on friendly terms, yes. I imagine it's not easy for you sitting here today accusing your friend of murder. Objection. Sustained. He he had a comment. Could you describe your last conversation with the defendant regarding William Hinks? So Stephen Flynn. He was very upset. He and Lindsay came to us saying Mr. Hinks was the driver of a cab she was in. Both she and Bobby were agitated and in fear. Bobby said something like, get this guy. What was your response? I didn't know how to respond, to be honest. I was a little thrown. Why is that? The tenor wasn't arrest him, it was get him. And by get him, what did you understand him to mean? I really wasn't sure. I just didn't read it as arrest him. Thank you, detective. That's fair testimony. It's a lot of hearsay, but... Or a lot of well, assumption. No, it, well, it's, it, well, it, yeah, it's not hearsay, because it's his own yeah. first, first degree... But but yes, it is. It's He's being a lot allowed to interpret quite a bit. A speculation. Yeah. Thank you. That's speculation. But that said, Ray has seen. Uh, he has seen Bobby hang a man out the window. He's turned mm-hmm. his cheek while Bobby beat the shit out of Lindsay's voyeur, or uh, uh, Lucy, Lucy, Lucy's, Lucy's yeah. voyeur. The Barbara's, so, I mean, Barbara's. Right. It's not unprecedented. No, I mean I don't think it's unfair testimony. Well, what did you read it as? 
I wasn't sure. Are you in the business of roughing people up, detective? No. Killing them? Eh. No. Arresting them? That's Helen. I arrest people, yes. Yes. Well, couldn't Mr. Donald possibly have been saying, <laughs> do what you do? I don't know, Eugene. Sorry, man. Well, prior to this conversation, had Mr. Donald ever asked you to do anything illegal, detective? No. So it is possible, sir, that when he said, get this guy, he meant arrest him. As I said, I couldn't tell. You couldn't tell, so it's possible. I suppose. And you described Mr. Donald as being That's agitated good... when he said this. Is that correct? It's a good line by Eugene yes. of questioning. Well, his wife had just been threatened again by a serial killer. He responded by coming to the police and saying, get this guy. Yes. I don't even know why they called him. They called him to bolster Neil. McGuire just made him a little more believable. Made the jury a little more predisposed to believe him. And he's next, right? He's next. Oh, the old Aren't beeper. Aren't you gonna get that? No, That's my rape center pager. Uh -oh. Well, it seems it you have a, a call, Lucy. <clears throat> Still a pager. Now, just fair warning, this... We, we are going to go into upsetting topics here. Trigger warning. Uh, trigger warning. Um, From the Rape Crisis Center. I'm Caroline. Treatment room three. Name's Maddie Werner. 22 years old. But before we old. get too dark, let's I think so. do... <clears throat> Nurse telling us what's happening! Exposition Nurse! Wow, <clears throat> Exposition Nurse is played by Denise Dows. From Insecure, Good Trouble, Imposters, Charmed, The Guardian, 90210, and my favorite, Starship Troopers. Uh, and just so that we don't uh, awkwardly introduce her, the victim we're about to meet is played by Amy Stewart from Dragnet, ER, Chicago, Hope, Glory Days, The West Wing, and The Lake. Let's douse all humor from the podcast for the next few scenes. And uh, the comedians will be back after this. Uh, we're going to douse our humor? You mean, <laughs> so like we're going to go out and search for water with a couple of sticks for our humor? Well, I was trying to, no, douse. <laughs> douse? <laughs> they said uh, douse. Well, I probably did. I was trying to tie it into her name, the, the first <laughs> guest actress. Just strike it from the record. I'm such a nerd bully. I'd, I should slap myself. Yeah, yeah, you should slap that smile off your face. We're about to have a crazy scene right here, or a, okay. a, a somber scene. I mean, okay. I have a little respect, God damn it. There's trauma to the face and neck, defensive wounds on the hands. We haven't done the pelvic yet. She's in there. I will say that in reference to what we said earlier about Lucy's, I didn't know we actually were going to have a whole scene about it. I thought they were just, she was going to mention it in an offhand thing about a phone call. Okay, so ju more justified. I'll be in with the doc in a few for the full exam. Well, I'm curious as to what a rape crisis counselor does. Well, we're about to find out. Hi, Maddie. My name's Lucy Hatcher. I'm a counselor from the Rape Crisis Center. I'm here to help you through this. Is there anybody that you'd like me to call? A friend or, or family member? So when he gets here, the doctor's gonna do two things. First, he's gonna make sure that you're okay, medically, 
Okay, and and then to help the police catch this guy, he'll do some evidence collection. Wow. You don't have to do the rape kit if you don't want to. I should. Oh my God. Wow. Yeah, she's really beat up. Yeah. You know. But it'll Great really help work. if you ever want to prosecute. Great acting. I mean, it is a crazy upsetting scene. A blanket. No! No! Shit. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. Come on, Lucy. She needs you. Yeah, he has a challenge. Scene. Yeah. They didn't do but trigger I, warning type I've been a client for about 10 years. No, no, they the, did. Yeah. Though not lately, because, you know, I've been law-abiding. When did Mr. Donald last defend you, Mr. Neal? This Neil? is Jeremy Roberts. About eight years Alan ago. Neil. The charges were? Double homicide. The guy who killed Hanks. You were acquitted? Yes, I was. Could you describe for the court your relationship with Mr. Donald? Well, mainly lawyer-client. But I was very indebted to him. And also a reminder, we have been uh, warned in the last episode that this he is going to lie. Yes. You know, when you, uh, you allegedly kill people and get charged for it, the man who gives you back your freedom, well, I felt I owed him my life, basically. <clears throat> now, turning your attention to the day of December 5th, did you meet with Mr. Donald? Yes. I got a call from his assistant saying there's a big emergency and he needed to see me. You went to his office. I did. Could you tell the court what happened there? Well, he was upset. Told me he got married and he had a problem. I figured he just wanted me to kill his wife. But that wasn't it. He said this psycho was threatening her and that he could harm her. And he wanted me to take care of him. And by take care of him, what did you interpret that to mean? Kill him. Kill him? Yes. Did you and Mr. Donald discuss a price? 50000 did he pay you this money? No, I figured he was good for it. Did he indicate when he wanted you to kill Mr. Hanks? Immediately. <clears throat> and he Roberts gave me guys is giving a, a really So what happened next, Mr. Neal? Well, I went to this Hanks guy's house. I broke in and I waited. Very understanding. Hanks got there, I... Yeah, professional. I cut his head off and I put it in the freezer. Can we just? I'd like to ask play for you an audio now. tape that was recorded from within William Hanks's. So we're never really going to get into it, but like I have a, but my my question, other than it's good TV, why did he cut his head off and put it in the freezer? I was thinking the same thing. Like why 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 would that why would he do that? <laughs> like, especially would, especially if like, you like, if I was to buy what they are presenting, that he's just like a professional hitman and this is what he does, yada yada. It seems terribly inefficient. And, right? and super <clears throat> messy. Where'd all the blood go? Like you, yeah. if you to cut somebody's head off, like I'm you're just like putting evidence everywhere. But even in the reality, forget what they're presenting. Like, why did he do it? Why did he do it? Well, because as like a hitman, I could understand the sort of theatrics of it if you were trying to send a message 
to or if some, you're trying to hide the survivor the and cut off whatever. all his limbs or whatever. But <clears throat> well, but even but even like to if you're doing it theatrically to send a message to like the the rival crime family, but here there's no one to see it. Like Hinks doesn't have anybody in his life. There's no like warning to be done. Maybe he was going to bring it back to Bobby, and he was going to say, "Here you go." But yeah. he didn't do that anyway. But he did. But he, and <laughs> and you know, not the least of which is like the fifteenth decapitation in five seasons. Now, what would have been better is if in that freezer was a bunch of Smucker's grape jelly. Yeah, just for no reason. Right. Now oh, there's the tape. Bobby Dow's a friend of mine. That's your voice, Mister Neal. Yes. It's me and that Hanks right before I killed him. Is this the mixtape you made of all your favorite <laughs> songs on FM radio? <laughs> that you Did she make out one cassette? <laughs> I, I didn't know I was being taped, of course. That was unfortunate. Of course. <laughs> That's pretty funny. It's kind of an arrangement going. I kill people, he gets me off. Over the years, I'm in his debt pretty good, so when he calls in a favor, I have a silent alarm. Police are on their way as I speak. Then I'd better not waste time. Before you touch me, you should know. I have cooties. <laughs> oh, you're a funny boy. Please. <laughs> you have exceeded the time already. Does this tape represent an accurate account of the events as they happened that night? Except I'd also murdered him and cut his head off. Pretty much. Right. It's not covered. There's a lot of sawing. I had to blot all the blood because there was no blood in the... Uh, yeah, I only had a bread knife, so it was... It you should have told me it was your first. The doctor's almost ready for the exam. You coming back in? Um. Look, tell me if I need to call the crisis center, get another counselor down here. Okay. I don't mean to be brutal, but you're not going to do her any good if you run out of the room again. I'm fine. How old are you? Let's go. You made a deal with the prosecution in exchange for your testimony, didn't you, Mr. Neal? We covered that. Yes, it bears repeating because in all my years as a criminal defense attorney, I've... <laughs> Never seen a case where a man goes to a house, breaks in, lies in wait, decapitates his victim, then gets off with manslaughter. Objection. Sustained. They had you on videotape entering Mr. Hinks's house. Is that correct? It is. And we heard the audio tape of you killing him? Yes. So, basically, they had you. You were looking at murder, life with no parole, weren't you, Mr. Neal? I know what you're thinking. I'm fingering Bobby to help myself. Why would I think that? Look, I'm telling the truth here. How many times have you been convicted of murder, sir? Convicted once. Armed robbery? I'm not sure. According to your record, twice. Assault? Look, I didn't bring my resume. Three times. Possession of drugs. I'm telling the truth. What happened that day? Rape? I still maintain my innocence on that. Perjury? Once. And that Murder, rape, armed robbery, assault, and perjury. Have we left out anything, Mr. Neal? This deal you made to get manslaughter, instead of spending every day for the rest of your life in prison, you're gonna get out again, aren't you? Look. I asked you a question, sir. Under this deal, 
Just by coming to court and accusing Bobby Donald, you get out again. True or false? True. Thank you, Mr. Neal. Nothing further. Good job, Eugene, although it still doesn't necessarily prove what you need to prove. Maddie, I need to do the pelvic exam now to see if you have any injuries, okay? I don't know. It's terrible It's really ADR. important that we make sure you're okay. Try to relax your muscles. This won't be too uncomfortable. Do you want to hold my hand? Just going to put my hand on your knees. Wait, wait. I'm sorry. Maybe we could get a different doctor. I, I mean, can we still get a female doctor? No. I can do it. I can do it. Without that counselor, okay. she'd be all alone? Don't see any signs of yep. tearing. This is good. Oh, if you want, I could... Just need to take a couple of swabs and we're done. Lucy gonna pass out? Lucy, go to the nurse's station, and what you want to ask them for is sulfacrine. The sulfacrine. Would you get that for me? Seems Lucy's having some triggers herself. Well, yeah, of course. She just grabbed right. Lucy's head. Caroline is gonna leave. finish the rape kit. Caroline is like really helping everything here. She's awesome. We're getting some great performances here in this kind of B story. Yeah, well, I mean, it, it, it's a story okay, line that I like. I think it makes sense whether for or not her you testify. character. What are you talking about? How do I you not know, testify? What Lucy's well, I'm through, the only like, one to refute Neil's story. Bobby, if you sense. get up there, you'll be saying that you sent Alan Neal to scare him. I also think him. it's smart and under that the felony murder rule that may be all the prosecution needs. It, yeah, the stakes are really high, and and this is a grounded case. But at the same time, it, the storylines recently have been a lot of uh, wins, losses, and heightened sort of events. It's nice to have just something that's just purely compassion. Yeah, very very human story yeah. and yeah I, I i think it's i think it's if we good. rest you now know, we could just Lucy's argue reasonable doubt yeah. what is the best way to deal with your own trauma it's to help people out all the prosecution has to show you sent him there at all is the word of a convicted felon looking to avoid a life sentence the jury will assume bobby sent him there why else an assumption they... isn't proof but if you say you sent him that is proof so kelly williams definitely has a cold in this episode look the question is, where do you stand now? Was Neil convincing? He wasn't terrible. Look, if Bobby doesn't testify, how do we explain Neil going to Hinks' house? What I'm saying, we may be handing them their case. If Bobby says he sent him, we remove reasonable doubt <clears throat> on that issue. It could be case over. And what I'm saying is, we've already lost on that issue. Everybody in that courtroom knows Bobby sent him. They don't know it, Lindsay. Come on, Eugene. If Bobby and doesn't deny that he sent him there to <laughs> kill Hinks, which is what Neil just testified to. Plus, I never said break and enter. Let's not forget that. <clears throat> he has to testify. Tough. He has to. Can I say something? It seems under the felony murder rule, you lose. The only way to win is basically the jury has to want to let you go. 
For that to happen, you have to take the stand and say you never sent the guy there to kill him. You have to lie. I agree. So do I. Well... Oh, never sent the guy there to kill him. To, to kill him, yeah. I mean, honestly, on felony murder, he's guilty. And and so what Jimmy's saying is that okay. you're guilty, so you have to get the jury to just like you and find you not guilty even though you did it. Bobby Donald takes the stand. The stand. Bobby Donald is scheduled to take the stand any second. He is likely to be the only defense witness, which means... This could go to jury as early as tomorrow. In other news... It's not going to go on for 15 episodes like Bruce Davidson? Lucy, how did your thing go at the clinic yesterday? Well, then... Do you have a client? I'm not allowed to talk about that. Not even whether you had a client? No. You're a lawyer. Have you met? Looking chilly in Boston. Lindsay had become increasingly scared. First, when he started showing up at the office. William Hinks. Yes. He showed up saying things like he wanted to appeal his acquittal for the purpose of continuing his relationship with Lindsay. Then he showed up asking if there was a good place to walk a dog. All his victims, he met them walking a dog. Did you respond to that? We called the police and the district attorney. We got a restraining order to keep him a thousand feet away. Well, did that work? No. He showed up where she gets coffee, saying he didn't know she'd be there. Then she hailed a cab. He was in the cab, driving. He was stalking her. Did you tell this to the police? It was really good TV. They said they couldn't prove it, and there was nothing they could do. What happened next? Next, he murdered his therapist. Objection. There's no evidence. His therapist was murdered, who was also a friend of Lindsay's. Then he showed up at the hospital again to taunt Lindsay. Again, the police claimed they couldn't prove it, so they let him go. He's out there killing people. He's obsessed with my wife. What did you do? I called Alan Neal. Why? Because I needed somebody who, who was capable of scaring Hinks. Hinks knew the police were bound by rules and laws which he could manipulate. I wanted somebody who didn't know those bounds. Somebody who could genuinely scare Hinks. That's why I called Alan Neal. And you met with Mr. Neal? I did. What did you say? I asked him to put the fear of God in him. Did you ask him to kill him? No. In fact, I explicitly told him not to. Well, did you ask him to physically hurt him? Never. I only asked him to scare him, and that's all he said he would do. Well, what happened then? I gave him Hink's address, and he said he would take care of it. Is it possible Mr. Neal thought you wanted him to kill William Hinks? No, because he asked me that, and I said, I'm, I'm not hiring you to kill him, just scare him. Yeah, except for... Isn't that a little risky, Mr. Like, Donald? The guy's a contract killer. Sending one of your killer. clients out to you scare think anyone says, killer? like, I want you to we kill this person? <laughs> like, it's always done in innuendo. And Bobby's got to know that. Correct. But <clears throat> also, even though we know that, like you said, it's very hard to convince a jury of that, right? It's like, oh, well, did you hire that pilot to fly the plane? No, no, no. I hired him to ride a bike. Explicitly told him, don't fly the plane. That's a terrible analogy I've used. <laughs> <clears throat> 
<laughs> wait, wait, let's break that down. No, okay, no, so not. we've hired a pilot to ride a bike. Uh-huh. But don't fly a plane. Right, but, but that bastard plane. is still gonna fly a plane. Yeah. Cause he because pilot's gonna pilot. Right. He had to get somewhere. He's like, nah, yeah. I, quickest way from A to Z is to fly. Yeah. Which is why well, Alan Neal was like, look, I, you know, how am I going to scare? What's the best way to scare somebody? Murder them. Yeah, well, uh, fair enough. We had been to the police. Take that bike. We had been to the district attorney. I had a wife seven months pregnant. I didn't know what else. I will say, if they write Bobby off the show by sending him to prison for first degree murder, that is baller. I need that. <laughs> Super baller. He's in a quagmire here. Yeah, because he's kind of guilty. I got a psycho obsessed with my he wife. He should have had Lindsay on the stand. A man who chops off heads. A man who probably just murdered his own doctor. Problem is, it's all irrelevant. Who is now turning all his attention to You're Lindsay. irrelevant, Keith. Was it risky <laughs> to send a I'm man gonna to I'm going to take a fight to Philadelphia. Yes. Smack you. But I was not going to do nothing. That's my wife over there. That's my carrying wife. my child. We spent a lot of time on her hair. It looks great. Nothing. You were gonna do nothing for but like never, six episodes. Ever asked him to kill anybody. Well, once the defense rests, if he's the only witness, then. We're, the case is Something over? obviously didn't go well yesterday at the clinic. I thought we were talking more Can't discuss cases, here. Rebecca. You'd think. With counselor privilege. I was talking about you. Unless he's found guilty, we gotta go to How appeal, go baby. For you? I'm quitting. Why? Wow. I'm just not cut out for it. Oh, and, and, and you know this after your very first day. Rebecca D. Cricket, stepping in. I gave the victim a blanket. And is that wrong? The first thing they teach you, never approach a victim without getting permission first. And I went at her with an open blanket. She panicked. She totally panicked. Well, you won't do that next time. There's not going to be a next time. There are going to be more victims. When I saw what happened to her, I freaked. Lucy, the woman was raped. So you got emotional. I would wonder about you if you didn't. I ran out of the room. And then I threw up in the hall. Did you go back in? Yeah. And? I just wanted to run out again. I mean, the only reason I didn't was because the victim grabbed my hand before I could. Lucy, this was your very first call. I think you can allow yourself. I'm just not cut out for it, Rebecca. Yes, you are, girl. I bet you are. Good job, Rebecca. Yeah. You know, I really don't have any questions. As I understand your testimony, you were afraid of this Mr. Hinks. You called in a client you once got acquitted for a double homicide. After your meeting, Mr. Neal went to visit Mr. Hinks, and Mr. Hinks ended up with his head in a freezer. I never sent Alan Neal to kill him. He just got that idea all by himself? I don't know. 
He either did, or maybe there was a scuffle. I don't know. I He's do know I never fly, sent him okay? there to kill him. So all you did was send a known killer with instructions to be sure not to kill this time. Yeah, yes. See, my analogy is good. When you were first called to the scene of William <laughs> Hinks' house a month ago, and you saw his headless body, did you know who had killed him? Yes. Did you tell your friend, Detective McGuire? No. Why not? Mm, good there was certainly no privilege here. Why didn't you tell the police who had killed William Hinks? I was in shock. I wasn't thinking well. So you were content to let this killer stay at large, this killer who murders people without being asked. Objection. Wasn't your real fear incriminating yourself? Mr. Donnell, when you declined bit. to tell the police who had killed William Hinks, was it because you didn't want to incriminate yourself? I learned it by Probably, watching you. Maybe. Prior to the discovery of William Hinks's decapitated body, had you told anybody you'd sent Mr. Neal to visit him? No. None of your colleagues? No. Not even your wife? No. Mr. Donnell, your wife is terrified. She's being stalked by this serial killer. You didn't think to tell her you'd sent somebody to threaten him? You didn't try to give her some peace of mind, Mr. Donnell? She was on the verge of miscarrying. I didn't want her any further involved. That's exactly the case, isn't it? You didn't want her any further involved. You were afraid that by telling her the truth about what you'd sent Alan Neal to do, you might incriminate her too. Isn't that right? I only sent him there to threaten him. Yes. His ending up dead. Just a big mix-up. I thought that I honestly thought that was a devastating lot of questioning. Yeah, it was not good for our boy Bobby. He basically was able to prove that he knew ahead of time he was doing a crime. So he, he sort of proved intent to commit a crime, which it's, makes it felony murder. What happened? It went okay. Uh, Bobby did pretty good on direct. He was crossed all right, but he held up. It did not go okay, Eugene. Oh, shit. Lindsay pissed. It was... They just put in their case, uncontested, while you just sat on your hands and... Wow. She pissed. Both of you. <clears throat> if nothing else, you should have at least objected to... There was nothing to... You do it to break up their momentum, Eleanor. You don't just sit around and wait for something objectionable before... It was like you both went to sleep. Really good work by Ellie I don't want to be and I get it. alone. I want him in the room with me, Eugene. Who does she want to see? She wants Bobby to be in the room when she has her baby. Like, I like that. I mean, again, that's yeah. also conflict that feels organic and understandable. I thought they were terrible. There was nothing they could do, Lindsay. Toomey had an easy cross because he had the facts. The truth hurts me. When you don't have the facts, Keith, you try the law. When you have the facts, you try the facts. If you don't have either, create a diversion. I think that's what's next.
Hmm. Well put. Let's face it, the line between my innocence and guilt here is a thin one. There's the Barber's Adagio again. And I probably crossed it. Fake strings. This episode brought to you by Casio. Casio. <laughs> we want the strings to sound a little iffy. To have extended that look of it's pain in there. Speaking of fake strings. Time to put your case to bed. It's closing time. Well, that's not fake head voice. That's full voice, Keith. Closing time. And we've got more Hinks video. To begin Faces. the clothes. That look of horror. It's a thing of beauty. The look on the face of a woman who knows she's about to Which die. Which I'm surprised is admissible. You think you'll kill again? Oh, yeah. It doesn't matter who I'll get out was. Of this. Matters what Bobby just did. Watch. It really feels like you want Bobby the joy to of that look again. Look, he brought this on himself, okay? That's what we were dealing with. Little fan. A psychotic man who cut the heads off women, who pulled out their fingernails and kept them as souvenirs, and the police couldn't stop him. Even after they caught him, he was smart enough to convince his therapist that he was a sick serial killer wannabe. She testified to that at his trial. The jury bought it. He got off. Then he killed his therapist. And then he turned his attention to his lawyer. Lindsay Dole. Still, the police couldn't stop him. He'd show up at her office where she buys coffee. He picked her up in a cab. He gave her a dog. Then he strangled the dog. They got a restraining order, but it didn't stop him. See, he wasn't threatened by the courts. He could fool a jury. He wasn't scared of the police. Why should he be? He killed 10 women. Everybody knew it. And he was still out there. All true. I'll tell you who was scared. Bobby Donald. See, Lindsay Dole, that's his wife. Pregnant. Seven months, their first child. You don't think this man was terrified? Would you be? A man who cuts off heads is after your spouse. The police shake their heads. Nothing we can do. How would you react? Well, how he reacted? I'm sorry to interrupt, Eugene. Uh, This is where I'm surprised they didn't use the defense, defense of others. Because, like, self-defense is a defense, but so is defense of others. I'm surprised they didn't use that here. Because I think their case is pretty weak it, without using that, unless they're trying to do, like, a soft defense of others. Like a soft plan B here. Hmm. Well, let's find out. He called an old client. Yes, a goon, to put the fear of God in this hinks. Because that's all he could think of, try to scare the guy. And that's all Bobby Donald did, ladies and gentlemen. That's all he did. He never said, go kill him. That was a flat-out lie told by a murderer with a rap sheet longer than the Callahan Tunnel. A murderer caught. Mm, a murderer trying to avoid a life what? sentence. Alan Neal flipped Bobby Donald in exchange for manslaughter and a shot at parole. The chief prosecutorial witness is a murderer, a rapist, with a motive to lie, and it's on his word alone that the district attorney is asking you to believe Bobby Donald ordered a hit. Alan Neal's word doesn't satisfy reasonable doubt, and I think you know that. Do you know that, Eugene? Because your confidence level looks 
Suspect. Uh-oh. Mr. Donald was scared. I don't dispute that. Who wouldn't be? It's the man on that videotape after somebody you love. But being scared doesn't give you the right to become a vigilante. It doesn't mm. justify breaking the law. And it doesn't excuse murder. Not for me, not for you. And especially not for Mr. Donald. This is an experienced criminal defense lawyer. He knows the law. He uses the law when it suits him to make money defending people like William Hinks. But the minute Mr. Donald's family is at risk, the minute Mr. Donald is scared, forget the law. He goes out and hires a killer. That is not just hypocrisy, ladies and gentlemen. That is the most knowing and intentional criminal act you can imagine. Mr. Young He's says Alan Neal had a motive to lie to this spare not himself for a life sentence. That might be true after he was caught. But Alan Neal gave the same story to William Hanks before he was caught, before there was any such motive. You heard the tape. Mm -hmm. The clear inference was he was sent by Mr. Donald to kill Hanks. There was nothing self-serving about that statement at the time it was made. Of course Mr. Donald sent Mr. Neal to kill Hanks. Why else would Alan Neal have done so? For extra credit? Do we really think, oops, he must have misunderstood? A price of $50,000 was set. Bobby Donald was in that frame of mind when he asked Detective McGuire to get this guy. He was in that same state of mind when he dispatched Alan Neal. And think about this. If Mr. Donald is the innocent man he claims to be, why? When the police found Hinks dead, did he not tell them who did it? Hmm. Why didn't he tell his own wife? That's not good. Because he knew he was guilty. And even if for some reason, perhaps out of sympathy, you are to believe, Mr. Donnell, that he only sent Alan Neal to scare Hinks, under the felony murder rule, you still must convict. If you send a person to break into somebody's home and a murder results, whether intended or not, the felony murder rule applies. Right. This is the reason for this rule week. is to deter suspects from doing something so inherently dangerous that it could foreseeably lead to violence, perhaps murder. Here, Mr. Donald sent a killer to break into the home of a psycho. Think about that. It is no different than if he lit the fuse of a bomb and threw it at Hinks one way or another. Hinks was going to die. And that's exactly what Mr. Donald wanted. I mean, that's a hell of a close. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, I'd be pretty nervous, buddy. I don't. Okay. I'm pretty nervous. The judge is giving instructions. The jury will have it within the hour. Oh, the victim has shown up. Lucy has a cow neck on. Maddie, are you Lucy? Yeah. I didn't get that clear look at you before. I know I'm supposed to wait to see you at the clinic, but I... Without your help. Thank you. see you at the clinic, right? 
I'll be there. good beat. It's odd that she would go to the office to do this, but it's a good beat. We can't afford another set, Keith. Come on. Locations are hard to come by. Sure. Eugene? It's the prosecutor going in to meet We have another plea? We're all lawyers here. The offer's on the table. Aiding and abetting a felonious assault, two and a half years. Wow, not even a better deal? Give us a second. I mean, if I'm in his position, he just crushed it with the, you know, with his clothes. Pilot's gonna pilot, Keith. Pilot's gonna pilot. Not gonna take that bike. I think we should No matter what you tell him. Give him roller skates? He's not taking those roller skates. He's flying. Eugene's being honest. Eugene is being straight up. Eugene says, take it. I'll be boss for a while. Can I go take it, Bobby? No. I just can't, Lindsay. There we go. Eleanor. I don't know, Bobby. I feel good on murder one and conspiracy, but on felony murder, I I just don't know. I agree. It wasn't me. It wasn't me. I got it. Look, we, we need another minute. Well, we haven't got it. The jury's back. They have a verdict. Shit. So either you take the deal now, or we go in there. Oh man, fuck. Ethic. We go in there. How much time is left? Four, four minutes. minutes. Four minute warning. Don't take the deal. What's gonna that? happen? We still got an appeal, baby. What does Mike think's gonna happen? Well, I mean, he's gotta be not guilty, right? Helen's there. But if he's guilty of a lesser charge, he can't practice law anymore. That's right. Well, there is no lesser charge on the table. Except for the deal, obviously. Fuck. Is he gonna take it at the last minute? What's gonna happen? Keith! Freaking out! Please rise. Freaking the fuck out, man. Mr. Foreman, have you rendered a unanimous verdict? We have, Your Honor. It's unanimous. They can't you? all find him not guilty unanimous unless they Commonwealth really believe this is Robert Donald. All jury cases. On the count of murder in the first degree, we find the defendant, Robert Donald, not guilty. On the count of conspiracy to commit murder, we find the defendant, Robert Donald, not guilty. On the Freaking count out, of felony murder, we find the defendant, Robert Donald, guilty. Not guilty. Eugene! 
jury is dismissed with the thanks Keith of the does court. not agree, but... We're adjourned. I don't know if I want that jury. I don't know. Wow. Y'all. Get me out of here. Now, if you had done your homework listening to how they talk about juries, you would have known he was going to be not guilty from the first count because the juror looked at Bobby. And if he was going to be guilty at all, he would not be looking at him. So, but just if we if we if we zoom out a little bit here, the yeah. chips will fall. I mean, two of his best friends and colleagues basically wanted to put him in jail for two years. They didn't want that. They thought they that. Yeah, well, Bobby didn't, didn't want the, uh, Bobby didn't want him to kill that guy either. But that's what ended up happening. So, <laughs> but did he? Bobby saved his own ass there. Well, I mean, oh. Eugene had a hand. <laughs> that's true. He rolled the dice. Yeah, that was a big dice roll. Oh, I knew he'd win. I just had this feeling. <laughs> Did they say? Are, are they coming back here? Yeah. Should we get a well, crudite or something? Back in business, cheese, huh? something? Well, which means you can go about distributing that mail if that's not too much trouble. Funny. <laughs> oh, yeah, you can have that. What's this? Some cheapo recorder. Probably from a cheapo client. There wasn't oh, a card no. or anything. Huh? It's a cassette. Really? Hello, Lindsay. If you're getting this, it's at the instructions of my probate attorney, which means I must be dead. Is that Hanks? That's unfortunate. I usually Definitely like to have the last laugh. This is my little insurance policy on that. See you soon. Get Eyes out. up, kid. What? Go! Eyes up. Holy shit! The tape recorder just exploded and blew up the office. Some laser sounds there. And they are down on the ground. Wow, that... What? <laughs> what is right? So Hinks left a cassette player bomb in his will. And blew up the friggin' office. He had, his, he had his probate attorney bring a bomb, deliver a bomb? Yes. Okay, there's a lot to unpack. So we're going to, to go back to YouTube and uh, have a chat. So join yes, us there. indeed. Uh, we'll see you soon. And we are back. Boom! I'm thinking. I'm still thinking because yeah. that shit was crazy. Now I understand what the fire down below was. Yeah, huh? Boom, because he's done blown up the office. Wow. That, uh, back from the dead. Yeah, well, he, he left it and, uh, with his probate attorney. Keith, Skype has decided that you're going to be real low res. Yeah, well, you know what? That's fine. I'm fine with that. Here, I'm, I'll I'll try to. Oh no, I just took a thousand pictures. Of oh, myself. low res Keith. <laughs> Why do I keep clipping so much? I don't know. I'm Clip Factor USA today. Uh, all right. Well, folks, we've had a very exciting episode of the practice and a very long episode of us just farting around because we're yeah, bored. Yeah. 
So All true. we, uh, it's time for everybody's favorite segment entitled. Mike has 30 seconds to remember what just happened on the show. Y'all, Bobby was in deep. He didn't take the deal. They bring up his hitman. Hitman tells a damning story. Then they bring Bobby to the stand and Bobby says, hey, I was scared. I'm protecting my baby. I'm protecting Lindsay. I didn't tell him to kill anybody. Pilot's going to pilot, but I told him, don't fly that plane, take that bike. Bobby's not guilty! Uh, Marla Sokolov and Lucy were really compassionate, and she's got a great future ahead of her as a rape counselor. And guess what? Then it blew up. (laughs) Yes, it did. Well, we have some more things to blow up, entitled the... 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 Ladies and gentlemen, the Out of Practice Podcast, in unofficial, unsolicited, unfactual association with David E. Kelly Productions, proudly present... Oopsie! The Oopsies! Celebrating excellence in acting good, lawyering good, guesting good, and being Tom Brady. Not to mention, this is where we rate the episode and stuff. Now... Here are your hosts, Keith and Mike. What the hell are the oopsies? Well, Jackie, they're the fake award show we do at the end of every episode. And where we hand out very prestigious awards, beginning with the... Well, I mean... Maybe he had a little bit of sour advice and wasn't always the best uh, motivational energy, but Eugene, uh, as head of the firm and head of Bobby's legal defense, did get Bobby off not one count of murder, not two counts of murder, but three different murder counts. Not on different people, but you know what I'm saying. So I gotta, it's got to be Eugene. Yeah, well, I, I think... <sighs> Yes, I thought Eugene tried a very good case with a losing hand, frankly. Um, but here's, I have I have two criteria uh, for for choosing the MVL. You just want to uh, go one, back and give it to the other guy. I know. Well, uh, yeah, but here's the thing: there's persuading the jury, and then there's persuading me, persuading me. Keith, he couldn't even persuade Bobby to take character. the deal. Couldn't even cons- persuade Bobby to take the deal. And but Keith, with my brain, thinks that uh, he actually should have gotten a conviction there. And the only reason he didn't is because we like Bobby, and Bobby is dreamy. Uh, so I hate to say it, I'm gonna have to give mine to Martin. Toomey, D.A. Martin Toomey. So congratulations, D.A. Martin so Toomey sue me. and Eugene. Keep votes for Toomey. Boo. All right, now it's time for... Already famous because you've been on TV. Getting a paycheck. Or first entry on your IMDb. Way to go. But you're the best guest actor. You are the best guest actor. You are the best guest actor on the episode. Uh, Keith, help me out with the IMDb. Shout out to our victim, our our to Amy Stewart. Amy Stewart, not an easy, uh, not an easy part she pulled this week. No, and she was excellent. Agreed. However, agreed. 
whilst I could not abide by your selection for MVL, I do feel that the actor portraying said DA. Stephen Flynn. Stephen Flynn uh, deserves said oopsie for best guest actor because I thought he was confident, strong, his clothes was excellent, his cross-examination was excellent, uh, and he was great last week as well. So Stephen Flynn, best guest actor. Yeah, and I uh, I agree. He, I think he is. I would like to th- just throw an honorable mention to Jeremy Roberts as Alan Neal the Goon, who I thought yes. did a an, an excellent job, like, very understated and yet like funny and compelling at the same time. Uh, so I thought he did a really good job, but, but yeah, it's Stephen Flynn. I I thought he did a tremendous job and I, it's a character that I think would be very compelling as an adversary moving forward. So congratulations, Stephen Flynn. All right. It is time for. You killed your podiatrist or blew the case, but you let a single tear run down your face. You're the best. Actor on the show. Kelly Williams, excellent. Really uh, excellent. Dylan McDermott, excellent. Steve Harris, excellent. Cameron didn't do much, but she was excellent. I thought Jimmy and Rebecca D, uh both gave a good... Uh, Jimmy was only really in a comedic beat, but Rebecca had, had some great scenes with Lucy. But I think for me yeah. this week, it's, it's Marla Sokolov as Lucy Hatcher. The... What I thought was going to be kind of a toss-away storyline was actually a really compelling storyline. And we got to see a lot of what makes Lucy tick as a human, what she's working through, and kind of see her youth and also see her growing up, all of those things. And as an actress, a young actress, especially at this point, that's a heavy, that's heavy. And it was consistent and it still had growth and it wasn't just emoting and it wasn't just being scared and sad. It was could have it could have come across a little uh, lifetime movie or two dimensional, but it was neither of those things. It was quite was quite full and quite compelling and quite uh, empathetic. So uh, I uh, throw my oopsie her way. Yeah, no, I I agree. I I think um, similarly. I I want to give an honorable mention to Kelly Williams, who I thought did some really excellent work in this episode. Uh, not just her sort of like freak out at Eugene, but also she did a lot of nonverbal acting, a lot of reacting, a lot of you know she was she you didn't hear it obviously, but she was there in the courtroom reacting to everything as it happened, and she. she showed a lot of strength and vulnerability at the same time. I thought she did great. But yes, this is Marla's episode. I think she she did a really good job. She's handed a very difficult task mm-hmm. um, and really stepped up to the plate. And I thought it was a really, I, I was really grateful to hear from her and to see that character and to see that character grow a little bit. And you know, I'll talk about it more in the spare tires, but it was really good to, to add this to uh, Lucy. And to give this uh, to Marla. So congratulations, Marla Sokolov, with your best actor. Oopsie. And now it's time for... The Tom Brady Award for being Tom Brady. Guys, guess what? I did one. And it's you sure on did. the screen right now. It's Q Brady. There it is. From the episode... Season one, episode seven. Uh, I believe it was... It wasn't Q Who. 
It was uh, it's the it, it is the episode in which he it tries to give Riker Q powers. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that's uh, the extent of my Photoshop skills currently. I can put a head. I on thought that was pretty head. good. It wasn't bad. Uh, this week, oh man, um, Tom Brady throwing a bomb, but a literal bomb. <laughs> Tom Brady throwing a bomb, but a literal bomb. Tom Brady, yes. congratulations. <laughs> okay, well, that's interesting. Okay, there's only one more thing to do, kids. Here it is. Ladies and gentlemen, it is time to announce how many spare tires this episode gets. To the 100th degree, or percentage. Yes, <laughs> yes, exactly. To the 100th of a point. So, this episode had everything. It had a C, a B story where we got really deep. It had an A story that felt like it could have been eight weeks jammed into one half a week, and it ended with a bomb from a, a bomb. dead from a dead serial killer because we felt bad that we shouldn't have killed him off anyway. Um, so a little all over the place, a little all over the place. I just felt like, look, we're all rooting for Bobby, except for Keith, but, (laughs) but Keith wasn't wrong, but, but Keith wasn't wrong. This is one of those episodes where they have him dead to rights. It's even written, you know, to heighten the trauma. It's even written such that it's looking dire. That's why the. The reason that the whole the the MacGuffin of the the deal on the table is so effective is because it's a good deal. It does feel like Bobby should be. I said it at the top, it feels like he's guilty, and so it feels a little. I, I get it. Jury nullification. We've been there. We got it. We we've we've talked about it ad nauseum, but it's still in this particular case to me at this initial sort of reading of it and watching. Felt a little Deus Machina to me. Like, mm-hmm. we're just swooping down. He's just not guilty because he can't be. Um, and it also feels like, because that feels a little ham-fisted, we need to, like, we can't end it with that because it feels a little unsatisfying. So, bomb! And <laughs> right. Lucy and Rebecca, what's are they okay? And, like, we just had this great, we just had this, like, great whole episode for Lucy and then, like, she gets blowed up at the end. <laughs> it's just kind of, like, <laughs> a little crazy. But at the uh-huh. same time, uh, some great performances. I just, I don't know how I feel. I'm at, I'm at a, I can't, I, I can't award a score yet. I need to digest a little bit more. So let me, let me toss to you. Okay. Yeah, I, I have a lot of thoughts on this whole thing. Um, I, you know, as as we mentioned last week, how much I liked the stakes of this. I liked the fact that they put Bobby in a situation where he was really kind of fucked. And I wanted it to pay off a little better. Like, I understand that he can't, at the end of the day, end up in prison because he's the star of the show and you, the show is going to continue. So you, you can't really throw him in jail. Uh but I didn't think that this episode introduced any new information in that storyline. And right. so 
they basically just made the same arguments we'd already heard. And so there was no there was no twist, there was no angle. We didn't we we literally learned nothing new. We just restated what we already did in we already knew in front of the jury. And so uh as a result, A, that was a little unsatisfying, but B, I don't think the result was realistic. Like it felt like I I, I just I think he proved the case of of the of the felony murder angle. And I really would have liked to, if we were going to, if we were going to resolve this this week, right, and not extend this out and complicate it, which I think I would have been fine with had we spun this around a little bit. But I would have liked our team, our heroes, to come up with something, to come up with a defense, to come up with a... have Bobby or Lindsay get on the stand and absolutely crush it. Give them one of those... 10 minute monologue something you know like they needed yeah. we need we needed a set piece for our side yeah there and there really wasn't anything i mean eugene argued the case well but it wasn't you know i wanted something give me a reason not to convict bobby and they really didn't they just didn't convict him if that makes any sense so like i it, we have this incredible team of lawyers and they really didn't Come up with something. I want to see something creative. I want to see something clever. I want to, I want to like, I don't know, come up with some new evidence, come up with a new, you know, if, if they had argued the defense of others, I think that would have been a much more interesting. How about if you're, and if we're going to throw this weird Hinks thing in, how about some late evidence gets delivered by the probate lawyer and we work the bomb into the storyline, you know what I mean? And have that. Yeah. Which, you know, it's very sensational. No, it, like it, that's in, you know it, you're in danger of being cheesy, but we've you know we've already crossed that bridge. Honestly, if I if I'm going to rewrite on the fly, okay, here's here's the rest of my season. It's our goddamn podcast, yeah. It's our damn it. yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna rewrite the second half of season five. Okay, Bobby convicted, prison. He's in prison. Then we discover that Hinks actually isn't dead. Mm. That that it Hinks that he faked it. his death. The reason he smiled when he saw the killer there, and they taped this whole skit that they made a deal he didn't die, and so Bobby gets out of prison because the murder never happened. That is how I would take this. I love journey. that. Now I'm disappointed right? that it's not that. I know that would have been so much more fun. Uh, so it also it derails a little bit because you know we whether you, we like it or didn't like it, we've established this season. We've had these crossing sort of through arcs, these meta arcs. We had right. the Bruce Davidson thing, then we had uh, now we had the Bobby thing, or at least so I thought. Which turns out it's just two episodes, and the only continuation now since they've sort of they've they killed off the best villain we've had in a while. They shut down the Bruce Davidson thing, thankfully. And now Bobby's case is, Done. you know, that it's over because they can't try him again over. on it. Yeah. And so they're like, they, we got the last gasp effort of keeping Hinks in it with the bomb thing. And that kind of keeps, it's the cliffhanger, right? I'm sure they're fine. Uh, at least we, I guess we're gonna have to do something with the office. They blew the office up. Yeah, like it's, they just shoehorned in a, like a, a redress. 
<laughs> I'm going to redecorate yeah, right. the office now. So anyway, yeah. And, All right. So it sounds like we didn't love it, Keith. Well, it wasn't bad. It just feel it felt like a series of missed opportunities. Yeah, we've been saying like, that a lot season five, I have to say. We have been saying that season a lot. F- yeah, season five is the season of missed opportunities. Um, Big swings and, think, and lost opportunities. Yeah, so it wasn't bad. I liked the Lucy angle. I'm really glad to give Marla more to do than just be exposition. Yeah. And uh, I thought it felt, or as I said before, I thought it felt organic to the character. So, all right. So I'm, I don't think it's a bad episode but I'm disappointed in it. So I'm going going to give it a 6.89 tires. Yeah, I like that. I was was trying to come up with a couple of reasons that it was better than a six, that we're in the seven universe. And it's not a seven universe episode. Uh... The well, I, I, I can make alone, this argument. Lucy, the Lucy, the Lucy arc alone. And look, here's the thing: the ending blew my mind, and I at at the verdict. Even though I knew Bobby, I knew most likely he was not guilty. We've done enough over the five seasons of people being guilty when we thought they weren't going to be. We've done enough of that that I wasn't. I was. You saw in real time or heard. No, you were invested. 100%. I was. I was invested and freaked out. So I. I can't. I can't discount that. I can't write that off. That is the that is what a TV show is supposed to do, right? Yep. It achieved that, and none of the act, none of the, and, and even the storylines that could have been cheesy, nothing came across cheesy. So I'm going to, I'm going to be a little bit more bullish on it and say seven point one five spare tires. Okay. So you now wanted math? Really now got you've got math it. to do. Yeah. You wanted it. You got it. <laughs> All right, folks, you have gotten through another episode of the Out of Practice podcast. If you would like to write us in, tell us what you thought. Rewrite the end of your season five. You can do it at outofpracticepodcast at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram also at Out of Practice Podcast. Check out the blog. See what this math did to our rankings at outofpracticepodcast.blogspot.com. Do us a huge favor. Leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or any other service and join the jury. We really appreciate it. It helps us a great deal. Speaking of people who help us a great deal, this episode of the Out of Practice Podcast is brought to you by generous donations from Leanne Wrights, CloudLover69, Jorge Navoa, and Jennifer Masanova. If you would like to join them, you've got 30 seconds to do so. Just kidding. You can do so anytime by clicking the links in the show notes, one-time donation, or monthly contribution. We thank all of our future and current sponsors. And if you can't sponsor us or just surely don't want to, you can just tell a friend, you know what? These guys need a few listeners because, uh, you know, they're lonely and clearly have some issues to work through. If not, (laughs) grab an old cassette tape, implant a bomb inside of it, send it our way, and at the last minute when we hit play, all we hear are laser sounds. Laser sounds, although shit, I have one more point. Oh shit, it's not over yet. About the tape, it's not over yet. It's not over, guys, it's not over. Back to Keith. I I wrote it down and then forgot to bring it up. The tape player, all by itself, in the mail, with not addressed, (laughs) no name on it. How, like, A, nobody is suspicious, first off. Like, what the hell? 
Second of all, if Hinks' master plan, the genius, the absolute like genius killer, he's gonna take Lindsay out. He's gonna finally do it. I'm gonna take take that bitch out on my way after from beyond the grave. He didn't even put her name on the cassette player. So like she why would she even get it? How do you know she would be there? How do you know she'd be the one listening to it? What Y'all. a terrible plan. Y'all. Heath is pissed. It's a terrible plan. He's a genius. Didn't even put it in an envelope that says Lindsay. Check it out. No, I'm going to slowly fade out as you continue to complain. Go for it. Okay. You see, if the he plans everything a hundred steps in advance, he wants to kill Lindsay and he's just going to...